I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. The season finale of Biscuits Calling a Hockey Podcast. It's Tuesday, it's July 31st. Um, and we got some stuff to talk about. I'm Dave, Dave Lozo, and I'm in Brooklyn. And you know where Sean is because Sean is at the, in the heart of hockey. Say hi, Sean. Hey, everybody. It's uh, me coming from the heart of hockey, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. The place where... where all the hockey news comes from. All the hockey news, you know, we we made the decision to stretch this podcast well into July so that we could cover all of the reaction and ramifications of the Eric Carlson trade Mm -hmm. and all the other big trades that were going to happen. And here we are. Yep. Who wants 40 minutes of Tom Wilson? Tom Wilson, Cody Cece, people who think Jerome McGinley is a borderline Hall of Famer for some reason. Uh, That one's still, I, I feel like that one just doesn't make any sense. I don't think anybody really thinks that, but... We'll get to all that because we, we should really start with Tom Wilson because that's just the funniest story to me. Because yeah. speaking um, of borderline Hall of Famers, <laughs> speaking of guys who are just one or two more seasons away from just just taking the leap into Hall of Fame status, Tom Wilson, oh, I lost it already. Was it five years? Five point two? Five point one nine? It was. It was six years. Six years. Five point one and change. Yeah, which is for a winger. At least today, that is first-line money for Tom Wilson, mm-hmm. who did play much of last year on the Washington Capitol first line. He did. He was a first-line. So he is, he, he is, by definition, a first-line winger, and he gets six years. And this is, if you're wondering, if you're just catching up on the news and you're wondering, wait, is this the same Tom Wilson who has scored 35 goals over the course of a five-year NHL career. Yes, it is that guy. Tom Wilson, who last year had 14 goals, 21 assists, so 35 points, career high last year, 14 goals and points. Uh, really doubled his his goals, career high. Playing much of the year alongside Alexander Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov, and he is now a $5 million player for the next six years. What are your thoughts, Dave? Bargain. <laughs> Total steal. I mean, if you had a chance to, to lock this guy up, you know, you get, you get a chance to lock up a 14-goal scorer for six years, you pay whatever you got to pay. He's a champion, too. You're, you're forgetting this. Like, this is the difference yeah. now between Tom Wilson and Jerome McGinley. Tom Wilson, champion. Jerome He's McGinley. Ring. Never won, Never won the cup. So, He's got a ring, and you know he was only two years away from UFA status. So I mean, you really want to get that, <laughs> that like locked I, in now. Like, like, like I, I, I get when you win a cup or you win maybe multiple cups, and it's like, well, we got to lock up these guys because they're the best of the best. And yeah, the contract is going to be bad later. I always think of Brent Seabrook. I feel bad. We always call out Brent Seabrook when that, that the topic of conversation is that. And hey, even like TJ Oshie. I get that contract. Like that's probably not going to look good in a while. But hey, you know what? You, you you had to pick somebody to sign. You signed TJ Oshie. Sure. Tom Wilson, like I would say, before last year, he was he was a liability. Like he wasn't an asset. And last year, he found himself playing with two one Hall of Famer. Kenny Kuznetsov still pretty young. You never know. But he's he's pretty good. He's pretty good at the whole hockey thing. And suddenly. 
he gets up to 14 goals. Now, the, the comparison that I kind of thought of was Alex Burrows because he rode shotgun with the Sedins, uh, who we'll get to later, by the way. And he put up some, you know, 20, 30 goal seasons. And so when it came time to pay him, you're like, well, it's pretty much Sedin driven, but he's got the numbers. So you give him what you have to give him. I mean, Tom Wilson scored 14 goals, man. Like that's, 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 I'm, I'm not saying I could score 14 goals on that line, maybe like six or seven. Like I don't have the wheels that I used to, but that's just seemingly a, it's like, it's not David Clarkson bad, but like, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's, it's not David Clarkson bad because David Clarkson was like 28 when his deal was signed. But on the other hand, David Clarkson was also an unrestricted free agent, and he had a 30-goal season. Now, it was one 30-goal season, and anyone paying attention would have known that it was a mirage. But, yeah, I this deal gets announced on, what was it, like Friday? Something, Thursday or Friday, the deal gets announced. And almost unanimously, the reaction is not just negative, but like outright mockery of this of this contract from the perspective of the of the Washington Capitals, uh, with the exception of Caps fans who love Tom Wilson. Oh yeah, and and many of them were. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they were they were unhappy with the quality of the takes that they were reading. So. Let's let's try to frame the case. Let's let's do both sides here, and let the case for Tom Wilson is. I mean, to to start with, this is a guy. He's been in the league for five years, hasn't hasn't produced much. He was a first round pick, mm-hmm. so th- this isn't like some no talent guy that that just kind of fought his way into the league. And you know, he 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 can play a little bit. He's pretty good for stretches last year. Was pretty good in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I I saw firsthand when they played the Leafs last year in the playoffs. And, you know, this is this is a useful player. Scored an overtime goal in that series. Uh, and you know, did he, was he playing with two superstars? Yeah. Same time, coaches don't typically put bad players with superstars. I mean, that you need to find a mix and. And the argument would be that, you know, if, if a pretty good coach in Barry Trotz felt like this guy was the right guy to plug in on that line, then he must have some value. And of course, he's a player who you have to look at more than just the points. He's a physical guy. He's, he's a throwback almost to a, you know, to a previous era where with the big hits, occasional fights, all of that stuff that still under the right circumstances can have some value. Uh, so you know you're you're paying for that as well, and the fact that you just won a cup and you're, you're going to want to keep as much of the the mix together. Now, again, Tom Wilson was an RFA. It wasn't like he was going anywhere, and it wasn't like you know it. It, it always kind of amuses me when these guys who are framed as heart and soul types are the ones that get top dollar because you think if anyone was going to take the discount to to keep the band together, it would be those guys, but. Uh, you know, I think everything I just said, the case that I just made, I can talk myself into like four million. Right, four and four, sure. Yeah, but to go, you know, it's 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 like, like I said last week and in previous weeks, that more and more with these contracts, the way that I'm kind of framing it in my mind is, what's the upside and what's the downside? And when when you're talking, we well, you got a six year contract. There's, it's so hard to project what a 24 year old is going to be like over the next six years of his career. It's hard enough to project for six months, let alone six years. So there's so many different ways this can go, but I'm sitting there going, okay, well, what's the downside? It, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to (laughs) picture this deal being a disaster, right? To picture Tom Wilson settling in as being like a 10, 12 goal scorer, uh, a guy who maybe at some point gets bumped out of that spot maybe his production falls even more is he still physical yeah maybe he's physical but to what extent how physical can he be is the guy who's already had suspension problems has had some near misses knowing how the department of player safety operates at some point if he keeps throwing these these questionable high hits he might get the 
kind of Matt Cook, Rafi Torres treatment where they sit him down and go, like, you need to stop doing this or else next time we're just going to hammer you. Mm-hmm. And if that happens to Tom Will, what kind of player is he then? You know, what kind of player is as fighting becomes less and less of an aspect of this league? You know, it's it's I have a very easy time imagining a scenario within a year or two where we look at Tom Wilson as a two or three million dollar player. And we're talking about this being one of the worst contracts in the league. Now, what's the upside? What's the best case? You know, the, the best case is probably what Tom Wilson continues to develop continues to find that scoring touch maybe he's not a seven goal scorer or a 14 goal scorer maybe he's a 20 or a 25 goal guy maybe 30 in in a in a great year where everything goes well if that happens then he pretty much is an okay value at this contract like that's it the the downside is disaster the upside is it works out okay I don't see the upside for the Capitals where this works out great. And that's that to me is the sign of a bad deal where your ceiling is just okay and your floor is is a disaster. Because you look at the history of guys who play like Tom with big physical guys, typically the the ones who can score have shown you that by the time they're twenty four. That there's not a lot of guys who, you know, certainly in the last ten or twenty years who have developed along the kind of development path that he would need to take to live up to this contract. You, you mentioned Burroughs being one. The other guy, and this is this is going back a little ways, but but maybe he's the guy that you look at if you're if you're hoping this works out great for the Capitals, is a guy like Todd Bertuzzi, where he was not much of a scorer early in his career and then it it, it kind of clicked and and again a case where he found a, a line where he was playing with talented guys and and it and it worked uh for at least a few years. But like I, I get why Caps fans love the guy. I, I, you know that that's what fans are supposed to do. But I just don't see how this works out any better for Washington than just okay. And I can see a whole lot of ways it goes really, really bad. You know what? It, it, this contract also makes me think of. It makes me think of back maybe like five, six years ago when everybody was like, "Oh, but when the cap goes up, then it won't be so bad." And then the cap kind of stopped moving up a whole bunch and suddenly like teams were stuck and they just had all these bad contracts and they weren't getting more space. And I feel like we're in that time now where everyone's just like, hey, cap's going to go up and, you know, they're going to get more revenue once we add a 30 second team and all that. But I I just, yeah, like the the flip side of that, though, is what's going to happen in the lockout in 2020. The cap might go down because they might shrink that revenue pie and now suddenly 50 50 doesn't add up to the same sort of cap hit so I yeah know. i i mean you're you're right that's that's you know if, if i'm a caps fan trying to talk myself into this i'm saying tom wilson's 24 he's just started to really kind of show what he can do in two or three years he's going to be a better player the cap will have gone up so the hit's going to be lower as mm-hmm. in, in yeah so so you know the 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 arrow for Tom Wilson's pointing up and the arrow for the cap hits pointing down and it's it, the deal's just going to get better as we go. I just maybe I just but think it's got to get a lot better. Like he's like what if he just has the same year he had last year again next this year? What if he's just another 15 goal season? 15 goals, mm-hmm. 38 points. Like that's not a 5 million dollar player. Or what if what if a coach says, "You know what? I the, the, they've got a new coach." What if Todd Reardon says, "I I don't want this guy on my first line. Mm-hmm. I, I want somebody else there." I'm going to put him on the third line and have him go out there and do Tom Wilson things and be a, a great third line player. But you're paying so much. Like in a way, it reminds me a little bit, only a little bit, but it, it, it's it's kind of like the Brent Seabrook deal in Chicago where they had won three cups and you're like, we got to keep the group together, got to keep the core, we got to reward them. And so they sign a contract that at the time everyone was like, ooh, that's not going to go well. And it hasn't gone well, and it, it looks like a terrible deal now. Tom Wilson is younger, so, you know, the the, the fall-off shouldn't be as as strong. But it's it's the same kind of thinking, right? Like, in, in a way, and I know every cap, you know, there, there's not a Caps fan in the world who would trade anything for that championship. And, you know, they, they could be garbage for the next five years and they won't care because they've got the banner now but it's it in a way it is kind of the curse of of winning is that now you feel like we've we got to keep this group together and we got to pay whatever it takes to do it and next thing you know maybe it's a year or two later and you're like our cap situation is completely screwed 
because we made all these decisions with our hearts instead of our heads. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work out, but what do I know? What do I know? Um, since we're talking about elite wingers, why don't we just do Jerome McGinley now? Because I just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really trying to figure out if there really are people who think he's borderline, or people yeah. who just say that. Because, I mean, like I get it. He hasn't won a cup. Like it's just, too, but like who cares, man? It's it's hard to win no. a cup. You're it's a team sport. Six hundred goals. You won a gold medal. He's he was a he's leader. a winger. He's a winger. He can't, he's a, yeah. He's a great... And he can't, you know, went to a Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final. So what are, I mean... Right. And he has like, he has like, you know, he's, he's a tough guy, fights. He's a great guy off the ice. Like he has every single like thing. So like I, I, don't, he, I really don't think he's borderline. I just think that's like something that people got in their heads no. maybe like three, four years ago. And now they just kind of say it without anyone actually really believing that he's borderline. Because he's, he's, like if Marty St. Louis is um, a Hall of Famer, like, how is Jerome McGinley not, you know? And, and this is the thing, because this has been one of my pet peeves over the last few years, is that I find that whenever you mention the Hall of Fame with hockey fans, one of two things happens. If you talk about the Hall of Fame in general, fans complain that it's too easy to get in. It's the it's the Hall of Very Good. Sure. It's not just for the elite guys. It's it's they let too many guys in. That, But if you mention any specific player, that guy has to be a Hall of Famer. Like, if you're like, okay, well, so Marion Hose, they're like, well, anyone who doesn't think Marion Hose is a Hall of Famer doesn't know what they're talking about. And you go, okay, uh, Daniel Offerson. Anybody who thinks Daniel Offerson isn't going to the Hall of Fame deserves to be punched in the mouth. What What about the Sedins? Anyone who doesn't think the Sedins, and you're just like going down, <laughs> anyone who doesn't think Henrik Zetterberg is a Hall of Fame, you're like, he's got 900 points. Are we sure he's a right. sure thing? And they're like, if you don't think I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to hit your children <laughs> over the head, with a frying pan until you admit that Henrik Zetterberg is a first ballot sure thing Hall of Famer. And you're kind of sitting there going, well, this is how we get the Hall of Very Good because every individual player, nobody wants to ever take the contrarian stance. But with Jerome Ginla, there is no contrarian stance. Right. The guy, he scored 600 goals as a power forward was didn't well it didn't didn't win an mvp but was you know certainly it probably should have won one took his took a not very good team to within one goal of winning the stanley cup probably they would have won a stanley cup if if uh if if a replay judge had been paying attention i gold medals i mean i i can't imagine the argument that jerome mcginley isn't first ballot like you know Forget first ballot. This is one of those things where when the committee goes into the room, the conversation lasts five minutes. And then you move on to whoever else you need to argue about. Uh, so I'm kind of with you. I, I I have seen these like takes saying anyone who doesn't think, I, who, who right. is that? Right. Like, show me, show me somebody that's not like just random guy on Twitter with seven followers, but uh, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Because you're right. If, if Martin St. Louis is in and Daniel Alfredson is going to be in and the Sedins are sure things we're not even having a conversation about Jerome McKinley the the only thing that I think should keep him out of the Hall of Fame is that he chose to go to Colorado instead of Tampa after he left Calgary slash Boston I guess that year he had a chance to go to Tampa and he said you know what I want to go play for Patrick Waugh oh, can, can we can we briefly just talk about what Jerome McGinley's Hall of Fame plaque is going to look like What's it going to look the, like? The dude's got 14 middle names. Have you ever seen Jerome McGinley's full name? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't I can't recite everything by, by memory. No, but. neither can I. But I think, like, I, I literally think Elvis is in there as one of the middle names. If they go full name on that thing. Oh, they have to. Right? Yeah, you're going to get there and be like, why is one of the plaques, like, three times the size of everyone else's? That, that must be Gretzky or Gordie <laughs> Howe. Nope. Jerome McGinley's name. No, he's... Uh, and and you know the great thing about Aginla is, it, six like in in a way he's almost he's almost a boring topic for this kind of conversation because he was so good and everybody liked him and like you know there's just like there's there's not even a really good butt on his uh you know on on his career it's this guy scored 600 goals and I think a lot of people if you ask him like what's your number one Jerome Aginla memory would not mention a goal right. They would mention the maybe the shift against the Lightning where they, they scored the overtime winner in Game 5, the fight against Vinny LeCavier, mm-hmm. 
like iconic moment, but one of the probably most uh, memorable fights of of the last twenty five years. Uh, the the assist on the the golden goal. Uh, yeah, in, in the Olympics. Who cares? Who cares about that? I don't care about that. Do you remember one. that one, Dave? I don't. I don't know if you. I just. I don't want to. I don't want to confuse it because I'm talking that this is the 2010 <laughs> gold medal, not the 2002 gold medal. Uh-huh. That was the one where he scored on the Mario Lemieux between the legs. I just want to make sure you're not confused about Canada's gold medal yeah, victories over the. Sure. Anyways. Sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Have you ever met anyone who didn't like Jerome McGinley? No. Dude, I remember I, I went to cover um, the outdoor game in Calgary when they played Montreal. I forget what year it was. It was like 2011 or 2012. And it was kind of like my first sort of like solo travel somewhere by yourself assignment. Like I was in Calgary forever. I was there for like the the rink build out and everything. And there was like nothing to do there. Like there was no, like Calgary was on the road. Like the hitmen were on the road. There was like no hockey teams in town. So like for like four or five days, like I just kind of just talked to like uh, Dan Craig about making ice. Like it was just, and I felt like I was always bothering him too. Like, hey Dan, can I just get you for like five yeah. minutes just to talk about? And he's like, well, we're we're spraying water down now, and yeah. so it was one of those. Build an ice right now, Dave. And then um, eventually the Flames come back to town, and obviously he's the star of the team. He's the captain, and he wasn't in the locker room right away after like the practice or whatever it was that went on at the arena. And so to kill time, like I was just kind of like talking to some other guys in the room and. And I turn around and I realize like Jerome McGinley has been in the room for like 10 minutes and I missed like the beginning of Jerome McGinley. And I was like, oh no. And he was like in a corner. So it was hard for me to kind of even like position myself in a way to like hear him or like get like him on the recorder. And so like he probably talked for like 20 minutes and then like I sort of like slowly kept filtering my way closer as people left. And I know I asked him questions he had already answered like 18 minutes earlier, but like he just gave me like thoughtful nice he wasn't rushed he wasn't like he was probably annoyed to have to ask the questions or answer the questions again but like he was just like people throw the term gentleman around maybe a little too freely but like i would i would describe jerome mcginla as a gentleman maybe not when he's punching Vinny lecavalier in the face but i'm sure that was gentlemanly yeah he did that in a gentlemanly way that's a gentlemanly thing to me the the top testament to jerome mcginla is this guy he played for a bunch of other teams at the end of his career, but he's Calgary Flame through and through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and a power forward hits, fights, everything. The first guy in when things when things went ugly, he he was the first guy in leading the charge for the Calgary Flames for decade plus. And I don't know any Oiler fans who don't like the guy. Really. Like I've never, I'm sure there were like moments where you're like, okay, that after last night's game today, I hate Jerome again. But then the next day you're like, nah, I don't like that's, that is as you know, to have that, that, uh, respect is, uh, yeah. I mean, in, in, I feel like we, there, there should be some sort of contrarian take here, but there just isn't for, for Jerome again. Like that, it, it, it would have been great to see him win the cup would have been great to see him maybe land. In, in some better situations towards the end of his career. But, you know, it's a 31-team league. You know, we got to get our heads around the fact that... We got to get our heads around the fact that some really good players are not going to win championships in this league for no reason other than there's just 31 teams fighting for it. And we've got to get it, our heads around the fact that that's okay because the alternative is the NHL turns it into the NBA where anyone who doesn't have a ring by a certain point has to just go and sign with the team that's already the best, and we all kind of roll our eyes. But what do you expect? If if you have to have a ring, or else you you failed as a player, no, that's nonsense. Of course you have. Although I don't know, you just kind of sold me maybe on the idea of getting super teams in the NHL. You maybe this, is, this is how we do it. Super teams are. I mean, I get why they're not. Like I, as a person who just likes hockey, doesn't like a specific team. Like I, I can understand where if you're like a fan of the Raptors. And, you know, you're just like, we got a really good team. We won the East. And you're looking over at the West and you're just like, oh, man, we ain't gonna, we're yeah. not going to do anything if we get there. Like, I can see how that saps the life out of you. But, like, as someone who just, you know, just I just enjoy watching good teams and good players. But, but you're play. in the minority, right? Like, most most fans are fans of a team first. Right, right. Oh, I get I it. Know. I totally get it. But I, I would like, you know, I think the NHL version of a super team would be great because... They wouldn't be the Golden State Warriors. They'd still be very beatable. Right. They'd still be less, you know, more likely than not to not win the Stanley Cup. So 
you know, I, I love the idea of the predators or the lightning loading up and then let's see who knocks them off or maybe somebody doesn't. But like think about um, back in the day when like the Red Wings would win the president's trophy in the pre salary cap era, they lose in like the first round or the second round or they wouldn't yeah. get to the they wouldn't get to the Stanley Cup final because some team would just find a way to win four out of seven. Like and it was and it was an upset. And yeah. it was an upset that meant something, not like today where you're like, Oh, the number four seed beat the number one seed. It's like, yeah, they were four points apart in the standings and <laughs> Right. Or even back in the day, like when there was, it was the setup we have now where like, you know, there would be the one versus four, two versus three thing. And like the team that had like 61 points and finished fourth in the Patrick division would upset the team that had like 105. Like that was, yep. I, I'm pretty sure that probably happened once or twice. Maybe, maybe that never happened, but like that was just. Well, it did. Like Minnesota North Stars going to the oh, yeah, 91 they, final. They played the Penguins. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, there's, there's, that's why like, I, I just, I'd love to get rid of the salary cap and just let everybody just kind of do whatever they wanted. Cause you would get more teams like that and you get more upsets like that. And there's not the Golden State Warriors like inevitability feeling most of the time yeah. with those teams. So yada yada yada. Nobody thinks Jerome McGinley is in a first ballot Hall of Famer, and just want to make that clear that he's totally a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. If you find somebody who actually sincerely holds that take, please bring them to my attention because <laughs> I would I would love to see what that argument looks like. Someone's going to write you know, that. The, the only way you could make the argument is if you, your warped version of a Hall of Fame is like Gretzky, Lemieux, Howe, Bobby Orr, and like three other guys. And that's it. And you've been against every other Hall of Famer, you know, for the last few years. Nick, okay. Nick Lindstrom, no way. He's not as good yeah. as Bobby Orr. Exactly. Right. Like that take is, that. that's a bad take to be clear, <laughs> but at least it would be like a consistent take. There's no, you know, I, I mean... You, Everybody who's scored more goals than Jerome McGinley is in the Hall of Fame, except Yammer Yager. Everyone who had more points is in the Hall of Fame, except Yager, and I think Pierre Turgeon. But Pierre Turgeon, the much different era, and Pierre Turgeon didn't do anything but score. So it's it's not it's not even a comparison. And Pierre Turgeon played in the '80s too. That was he had a different sort of league. Yeah, he, to play he played. In. He played and, some you know. of the '80s. He he played. Pierre yeah. Turgeon had one of those weird careers that went on way longer than, than people remember. But it, yes, like it, it, you know, if you adjust for error, I'm sure Aginla's numbers get even, even crazier. Like I, I normally I kind of roll my eyes a little bit at the whole thing about whether someone's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Is that you know, if you're in, you're in. It it's ultimately doesn't matter. Jerome Aginla should be first ballot, five minute conversation, and you know, let's just. Uh, uh, move on to whoever whoever else they're going to have to actually argue about because it's it, there's there's no argument against it. All right, well we're at the halfway point, so feels like a break time. Feels like we should recharge, re uh, reassess, reboot. I don't know. I, I can't. It's kind of early. I haven't had coffee this morning. Um, and we'll be back. We've got uh, we've got some more stuff. Right? We have we have Ottawa Senators stuff. Of course, we wouldn't have a season finale without Ottawa Senators stuff. And uh, I'm sure we'll get to some questions, uh, Sadine stuff, and uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back. It's the back half of the season finale of Biscuits Colon a Hockey Podcast. And before we get to all the Ottawa Senators news that you guys love to tune into, Trevor Linden and the Vancouver Canucks parted ways. Nobody quit. Nobody was fired. They just sort of drifted apart the way uh, the, the mass continent of, what's it called again? Before we had seven continents, there's some word for that. Whatever that word was, they've, they've drifted apart. And um, yeah. it, it was all very weird how they did it so if if jerome mcginley is looking for something to do ever other than the goals and fights everyone's favorite memory of jerome mcginley was when he made the flames hang around on the ice to go shake hands with trevor linden after his last game as a canuck 
maybe maybe get another we we need another handshake line jerome <laughs> because trevor linden has once again for the third time parted ways with the canucks and yeah this is it it has been presented as a mutual parting of the ways but i don't know that anyone is buying that but who do you who do you think like if you had to bet was it like the ownership that was like get the hell out of here or was trevor linden like yeah i hate this i don't want to do this anymore like i feel like it's the second thing yeah i i, I the, piecing together the various stories that have come out and the kind of read between the lines thing and i'm not acting like i have any sort of inside information here but but just kind of reading between the lines on what other people are saying it it certainly sounds like what happened was there was a difference in philosophy in in terms of where are the canucks in their rebuild how close are they to contending again and and what should the strategy be in the short term to get there and that ownership wanted to hear that they were close and that the playoffs is a reasonable goal and that the the pain part of the rebuild was over and it was that they had enough pieces to move forward and that Trevor Linden didn't buy that and Hmm. Trevor Linden felt like there was still more work to be done and that Jim Benning either did buy that or realized that who signed his paychecks and and which side he should be on and that Jim Benning basically went to ownership and said, yeah, we, we can be a playoff team. That's, that's why we go out and get Jay Beagle and guys like that. <laughs> and that, and that, <laughs> yeah, that Trevor Linden either at that point said, I, you know, I don't agree with this and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to put my name on something I'm where I don't think we're going in the right direction. Or maybe there was a power struggle or maybe ownership started looking differently at, uh, at Trevor Linden because he wasn't telling them what what they wanted to hear and what they felt was the situation, but yeah, it you know Trevor Linden has not, as far as I'm aware, spoken to anyone about this yet. Like in, in terms of the media, he had a statement that was put out by the team, which was very basic and and short and didn't mention anyone by name, didn't thank anyone or anything like that. So. The assumption is he was either pushed out or walked, you know, quit on his own. And, you know, in some sense, okay, that's, yeah, maybe that's mutually agreeing to part ways, right? Where you go, I hate it here. Yeah, well, we hate having you here and let's mutually <laughs> agree that don't let the door hit you on the way out. But I, yeah, there, there's more to this story than just Trevor Linden wanted to go spend time with his family and, and play more golf and handed the, the keys to the kingdom over to Jim Benning. It always seemed like a job that maybe he didn't love. But like, I don't know. I just kind of based that on just watching like Canucks results and like, he's just kind of more just like a, like a, you know, like a popular player from the, from back in the day when the Canucks were struggling, you can be like, Hey, look, it's Trevor Linden in a, in a suit in the press box. He's, he's part of the organization. Remember, remember how much we loved the Canucks back then? Yeah. And you put him, he's when things go bad, he's the guy you put in. Yeah. The pre- in front of the media, in front of the cameras, and, you know, how mad can you... Remember this guy? You've got his poster hanging in your childhood bedroom. You can't be that mad at us. And, like, I can get the argument, too, that, like, the Canucks could be a playoff team next year because the Pacific isn't great. You never know. Anybody can be a playoff team next right. year. Right. Exactly. The, 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 the Vancouver Canucks, the Vegas Golden Knights, were a Stanley Cup final team. Therefore, anything could happen. We should We should stop predicting based on that from now on. Just never again... Who do, you, who, who do you like to make the playoffs? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I have no idea. Just pick like a couple teams. No, <laughs> no. I, I don't want to. I've learned my lesson. Never again. I can't wait to read your season preview next year. Just <laughs> shrug emoji. Here's my That's preseason it. power rankings. Tied for first. Every single team. Everyone's got a shot. That's my new thing now. Just no, no real strong opinions. Anyone can do anything at any time. You never know. Follow me on Twitter. Thanks for reading. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes next because they have the Canucks have kind of, in a sense, here lost a bit of a safety net. Jim Benning, there there is, I don't think there's a perception, but there's at least this uh, 
there, there seems to be a segment of the fan base and a segment of just the hockey world that sees this as maybe Jim Benning winning a power struggle or outmaneuvering Trevor Linden, which doesn't speak well for Trevor Linden. But <laughs> uh, And you wonder if the pressure is going to get cranked up now if the Canucks are what they are most likely to be next year, which is a team that is not particularly close to the playoffs, even with all their expensive fourth liners and all the rest of this. Because, I mean, I don't... The, the, the Canucks do have decent prospects on the way yeah you know that that is that much is true uh you know they're they're probably maybe one of the best prospect groups in the league even at this point the flip side of that is that's what's supposed to happen when you're drafting in the top five year after year (laughs) so you know you don't get you 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 get yeah i mean good for you that but that's kind of what you were supposed to do so i you know i don't think it's uh, and, and, and a lot of those guys aren't necessarily guys that are going to jump in the lineup next year and immediately contribute. So I don't know. I, I don't know if all the, all the, you know, you take the young guys, they have the Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, you, you, you take the, the, the prospects who are on their way. I, you know, uh, even if they all hit their most likely upsides, I still don't know if that you've got the core of a contending team built there. So if if the argument was the way, or if if the dispute was went down the way it's been hinted at, I'm on Team Linden here. I think yeah. that the Canucks, you know, but if the owners want those playoff gates, and I mean, I guess the flip side is if if you're Jim Bennings and the owners want the playoffs, what are you going to do? You've been the GM for four years now. It's not like you can go in and go, no, man, we, we stink. This roster's terrible. We can't come close to the playoffs. You got to go for it, and you just kind of close your eyes and hope you're one of those teams that can kind of, I don't want to say fluke your way in, but has a, you know, that's a good, a better-than-expected season. Get in with 96 points and cross your fingers and hope that buys you another couple years. The, the bottom line is, is that when you sign Jay Beagle, you raise expectations. You know, you just can't. You can't avoid it. You bring in a guy like Jay Beagle, right. and fans can't settle for anything less than a Stanley Cup. So that's right. You know, you, you, you. But the players will see that. You know, when they walk into the dressing room and they look over and there's Jay Beagle, you're going, "Wow, okay, the bar's been raised." <laughs> call, call the white. Say, hey, cancel the. I know I said June wedding. No, we're not. It's got to be July. I'm going to be busy in June. Putting it off. Yeah, we got Jay. No more, no more starting a family in May because we're going to be busy in May winning the conference right. championship. Sorry. Sorry. Job comes first. <laughs> oh, I love July news. It's the best. I can't wait to hear from Canucks fans next next May when they're in the conference final. <laughs> um, well, that's, a, that's the thing. Yeah, but like, if you're in the Pacific, you only have to win two rounds against two teams yeah. that probably aren't great. So... Yeah, that one, that one that one could probably come back. That to is us. the one thing I'll say. Like when when it's the Canucks or anyone else, when people are like, "There's no way they're making the playoffs," and it's like, "Don't." It's were you not paying attention last year? Like, just it's unlikely they make the playoffs. That's all you can say about anything in the NHL. It's likely or it's unlikely. That's it. That's that's as far as we'll go. It's likely that the Tampa Bay Lightning will be good, and that the Vancouver Canucks will be bad. Right. Meanwhile, two years ago, the Lightning missed the playoffs. They were they were they were yep. supposed to win the cup that year, and just ah, one guy gets hurt, and it's it's a whole new ball game, my friend, or puck right. game. It's not really a ball game in hockey, I guess. Um, <sighs> Speaking of bad teams, bad Canadian teams, which is kind of our bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't mean I don't think we have a ton we can do on this, but uh, your reaction to Cody CC, whose arbitration hearing is tomorrow, I think. Uh, he has asked for $6 million. Sure. A year. Sure. $6 million defenseman, Cody Ceci. And, and, and the Canucks want to give him 3.1, I believe, is the their end of it? The, the the Senators want to give him 3, but the Canucks probably also want to give him 3.1 because they, I can, I can see Jim Benning just wandering into another team's arbitration. Oh, did I say Canucks? All, <laughs> all confused and just being like... 3.1 and they're like Jim that's no you can't and he's like 3.6 and they're like that Jim no this is not 
This is not how it works. But yeah, Cody Cece, the 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 stud defenseman. I know if you're a fan of another team and you're like, who I've never even heard of him. The stud defenseman that the Senators have refused to trade for any number of star players. It was rumored to be on the table for Jonathan Drew, and they would not do that. It was mm. even rumored there was at one point a rumor that he may have come up in a Taylor Hall discussion. But no, they have held on to him because you've got to keep your core pieces. And he uh, played a ton of minutes last year. Played a lot. That's it. I just gave you Cody Cece's side of the arbitration hearing. Played That's, a lot of hockey. I, I love like I played like, a lot of minutes. I'm trying to imagine how he came to the $6 million number. Like It made me think of the scene in Coming to America when they're out of money. So Arsenio Hall goes to like the wire place. And he's just like, uh, you know, how about a half a million dollars? And the woman behind the counter is like, why don't you make it a cool mill? Like, I'm just picturing, like, his agent being like, don't ask for four. Just make it a cool yeah. six. You may as well ask for you six. This, Who cares? This is what we get in, in a world where arbitration, they, they always just split the number down the middle. Just go insane then. Give them, like give a super high number yeah. and 11. you're going to end up. So, so this will be a good test of that is whether, because, you know, I would argue that the, the senators coming in at three point, whatever it was, 3.5, something like that. That was about right. Like, you know, the, the the number here should probably be maybe start with a four, but not, you know, not a high number after that. So it's going to be fascinating to see whether the arbitrator actually does that or whether he just does the, the same split the difference deal and comes in at 4.8 and we all kind of roll our eyes. But that's that that'll be interesting if they even get to uh, to the hearing. And then the other two hearings that are coming up this week that are interesting to me at least. I think there's there's more than that. There's like a half dozen left. But we've got Mark Stone on Friday and then William Carlson on Saturday. And we don't know the numbers on them yet because they, that typically comes out the day before or a couple of days before. But where do you... Where do you think those numbers come in, and where do you think the final comes in if we get an arbitrator's decision? William Carlson's so hard because he was like, like I won't say literally nobody heard of him before last year, but he was just he was an afterthought. Like he's just some guy who couldn't play for the Jackets, and now he's he's a forty goal guy. Um, if I'm if I was if I was William Carlson and I was submitting my number i would probably submit i'd probably go cody cc level i'd probably say hey i'm i'm a cody cc level player i think six is fair and then maybe i go i'd go much higher than that yeah. if i was william carlson i'd go seven or eight i mean you're a 43 goal scorer you can sit there and say i was one of the five top goal scorers in the league and what's interesting about carlson is normally Normally, my feeling on arbitration is, why would you ever go? Why would you ever go through that? Get together, put your heads together, get get a deal done, preferably a longer-term one that makes both sides happy. But I could see this being a case where the, the Golden Knights don't actually mind if he gets a big number for the short term. Because they've got lots of cap space. Yeah. So, but what you don't want to do... I don't think if you're George McPhee is make a big long-term bet on William Carlson at a high number because we don't know. He, he, he went from being an afterthought to a 40 goal guy. Maybe he is a 40 goal guy. Maybe he's somewhere in between who knows. I don't, you know, I, I think you're happy to spend a year to, to do a one or two year deal and find out, even if it's a high number, find out for sure what you've got here and, and then go from there. So I, I, it actually wouldn't shock me that that's a case where I could see, a, the Knights coming in at maybe a higher number than you might think and, and not playing hardball, and B, if they go to a hearing, having the hearing maybe not be as contentious as it typically would be because the Knights just want to get through it, get a decision. They can say they tried. They can say, hey, you know, this is the number the arbitrator gave us. And then if if he's 43-goal William Carlson again, go ahead and, and sign a longer-term deal at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mark Stone is kind of the exact opposite in that it it suggests that, you know, and, and again, that's one where I don't I'm not convinced Mark Stone wants a long term deal with the senators, so he might have to do arbitration just to get that one year deal to get him to UFA. 
And that's going to be very interesting is how high a number does he come in at and how low do the senators come in knowing that obviously that, you know, they did, they don't have the money to spend. And yet, I don't know. I wonder if there's some psychology here where if you're Ottawa, you're going, man, everyone already thinks we're the cheapskates. We've already ticked off half our roster by playing hardball on every contract you know, is there any chance here that maybe you don't go for the absolute rock bottom number? Because uh, I think Mark Stone's going to come in with a, a real high number. Like Mark Stone should just come in with like eleven million dollars. Just be like uh, eleven. That's my number. Yeah. Just and send a hundred million dollars. Let's go halfway. <laughs> just yes. I, like it wouldn't like it wouldn't shock me to see Mark Stone come in a bit with a ask of like eight million. Why not? You're you're one of the better two way wingers in the game, and then. You know, you know, you've, you've, if, especially if you don't want to be in Ottawa long-term anyways, put the number up, put that flag in the ground, plant that as, as, you know, a high number. If, if only because you're anchoring for the next, uh, the next time around, uh, if I'm Mark Stone, I, I'm going high and then let's see what, uh, let's see how much the senators lowball if they do and, uh, and go from there, just try to get, get my money for one year and then either get me out of here or if the situation has gotten better, now I feel better about committing to a longer-term situation. It's amazing. No one's no one's come in. No one's swept in and said, "Hey, you wanna you wanna get out of here? I got a thing called an offer sheet. You uh, yep interested? They had the opportunity. They can't do it now. Yeah. Now that he's now that he's got arbitration, but the opportunity was there. And I mean, you would have thought that would have been like somebody, anybody. I mean, yeah, a team with no money and a player who wants out. You would think now. The, the the flip side of that is maybe Mark Stone was like, I'm not signing any offer sheets because I'm not, or at least not anything long-term because the Senators might match and then I'm stuck here. But you would have thought somebody could have come in with a one-year deal, said, let us get you out of there and then we'll we'll do an extension in January. But apparently not. NHL GMs just don't see nope. any need to use the one and only tool they have for acquiring young in their prime players in a league that is dominated by young in their prime players restricted free agency what does that even mean anyway you're free but you're restricted like who came up with that term to describe players that are you know coming off their elcs restricted free agent are you free yeah can you go wherever you want no no i'm actually restricted oh god i cannot wait for the next (laughs) lockout man that's it you know it's Total, it was totally a married person who came up with that term. <laughs> hey, man, are you free on Friday? Yes. It, well, we're going here. Oh, no, no, no. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. It's, I am a restricted free agent. All right. Reader mail? I think it might be time for some reader mail. Sponsored by uh, nobody. Just wanted to see how that sounded. Reader mail sponsored by somebody. Um, so we got, uh, a, a question from Snepstis's mustache. That's a, it's a Twitter account. Um, should power play stats be kept as a ratio of time on power play to goal scored and not a percentage? Hmm. I, yeah. I, I've, I've thought about this. I like, like that. The, yeah. Yeah. Because like, because you know, you it, have a 25 second power play that gets cut short by a penalty, like you're 0 for 1, but really like you're 0 for like 0.25 because yep. you didn't get the full two minutes. Yeah. Or, or the other way to do it would be, and, and this wouldn't necessarily work as well on a game, like per game basis, but over the season is just how, how much power play time does it take for a team to score a goal? Basically what is, you know, this, this team scores every eight minutes on the power play. This team scores every nine minute, you know, something mm. like that. Cause it feels like, you know, scoring 10 seconds into a power play versus scoring a minute 50. in it seems like the first tells you something different about the effectiveness of your power play. So I've, I've wondered if over the course of a season, if there was a better way to do it than just given a flat percentage that, that may or may not tell you all that much, but yeah, I don't, I don't mind that idea. Yeah. I think I would, I think that would tell you more, but I think that would also probably be, like they, I mean, TV broadcasts still use plus minus. So, yeah, you know, having having them figure that. I mean, some some broadcasts still don't even show you shot totals. Like you're watching a game yeah. on uh, plus minus. Yeah, like plus minus, like zero I zero. Love my my favorite is when you get the combined plus minus for 
a line. Yeah. <laughs> they're a combined minus six tonight. What? what? The Marshan Bergeron pass. It's, the, it's two line. nothing. That's how are they well. minus six? <laughs> That's like yeah. How long? How long did it take you three guys to get to the game tonight? Well, we were a combined forty-five minutes in the cab, so it took you fifteen minutes to get here. Yes, that's right. We just add all our numbers up. Okay, Corey wants to know: uh, Will James Neal or David Perron or anyone else that leaves the team to sign elsewhere get a video tribute from Vegas when they return this year? Hmm, the one-year video tribute i say I, I feel like yes because yeah it's the entire history of your franchise yeah they played 100 percent of seasons for the plus vegas you know like Knights. it's vegas i can't wait to see vegas tribute videos because they're not going to be like the treacly little emotional i will remember you set. like it's got to be you got to have the knight come out and like i don't know behead somebody dressed as i don't know i don't know oh yeah maybe they'll go the other way and have the knight like you know, do something to like James Neal and Effigy or something, you know, just how dare you yeah. leave us. What did they do in like ancient to like throw his body on a fiery pit or something like that? He probably wouldn't, wouldn't really. Like drawn and quartered be. or something like put his head on a spike yeah. or a pike. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's what yeah. you do. Just, yeah. Instead of retiring numbers, just heads on spikes in the rafters. I think we're onto something. Call us, call us Vegas. Uh, <laughs> You caught me mid. You caught me mid ginger ale sip. Yeah, there. as, um, as, uh, <laughs> as Dave chokes to death. It's a good way to. It's a good way to wrap it up. Um, bang bang Bart. What's more responsible for the dead puck era? Coaching, the trap, that sort of thing, or better goaltending? What if anything could be done about the former? Um, good question. I think it was. Like the like, truthfully, it was it was Jacques Lemaire and the Devils, man. Like they were this team that couldn't score with anybody, so they just said, "Hey, we'll clog up the middle." There was no two line pass back then, so you couldn't really do anything to get through it. And they had enough talent to counter punch. And as 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 what happens in every sport, you know, teams see a thing that works. And you know what's funny is like in every sport, like I, like I, I've seen arguments about the shift in baseball. Should they get rid of it? Like I'm a huge fan of getting rid of it. Like I I. I'm totally on board with doing whatever you can to help your team win no matter what. And if, you know, this, the, the, the analytics tell you that, you know, you should have three guys on this side of the second base, three guys on that side of second base, I get it. But, like, in terms of sports, we kind of forget that it's entertainment and that watching a yep. dude hit a ground error to, like, deep second or short right and ground out isn't fun. Like, a guy roping a single to right is fun. So maybe you should take that into consideration with hockey it's the same thing. Like, no matter what happens, like, the coaching always finds a way to stretch. Like, there's no coaching that ever shows up and is like, hey, here's a way to score five more runs or three more goals per game. It's always mm-hmm. strangling Except the Except in football. In football, for some reason, you do see that show up. You know, like the Wildcat will show up for oh, for a little while. Or the, you know. But, but yeah, like, and, and that's, that's why, you know, I love the NFL where it's like, this guy's an offensive coach. This guy's a defensive coach. And we don't have that. I, I wrote a thing about the, the baseball shift just in the fact that it feels so much what's happening in baseball now feels so much like what happened in hockey in the mid nineties, except that in baseball, they're having the conversation, right? They're having the debate right now, about what should we do? And players have, have given suggestions and, you know, there's, and it's, you know, some of them, some people want big changes. Some people don't want to change anything, but they're having the conversation. And it's like, can you, can you even imagine a world where this was happening in baseball and, baseball's response was to just do nothing for 20 plus years just pretend it's not happening and just be like and then every year be like maybe we'll do something and then they and then they're like how about we make the gloves a quarter inch smaller and then they're like oh that changed nothing okay why don't we make the bases (laughs) half an inch bigger oh that didn't do anything at all like it's it's laughable to think that they would not do what they're doing now which is see what's happening and go we got to figure this out right now because it's impacting the quality of the game and yet that's of course what the nhl did for the ongoing dead puck era where to this day they still haven't really addressed it to 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 answer the question i think there's an overlap between coaching and goaltending because it, it the goaltending the goaltending is so much better now but it's not like goaltenders themselves have just gotten you know better reflexes or better you know they're better coached their goaltenders now know exactly where to be exactly how to be positioned on every single shot exactly how you know head tracking and and everything else so coaching has 
bled into everything. But I, I do think it's coaching. I think if you, you you take the best goalies today with their giant equipment, drop them in the mid eighties, they're gonna they would dominate. They would be the best goaltenders in the league by a mile. But they'd still get scored on because you'd have the chaos of what hockey is supposed to be with mistakes and creativity and all that other stuff, versus taking somebody, you know, a, a bad goalie throwing them into today's game with all the shot blocking and you know this and that and everyone knows exactly their defensive milestones and where they have to be uh yeah it's 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 the coaching the goaltending is a big part of it but it's coaching that ruined hockey finally last question of the season daniela what do you think the islanders 2018-19 record will be seeing as they're coming off an 80 point season with Tavares as their number one center getting 84 points with a minus 12. Oh, Daniela drops plus minus on us right after we disparage plus minus. Um, Again, like I'm so, like I'm so snake bitten after Vegas that I don't know how to predict anything anymore. You can probably argue I don't know how to predict anything before that. Um, 71 points. It is likely <laughs> that the Islanders will miss the playoffs. Yes. No, I mean, they, they should be worse. They clearly should be worse than they were last year. Uh, I Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 there's the uncertainty of just what the NHL is, and there is also that piece of me that's like, you know, sometimes a star player leaves and everyone else just kind of rallies around. Like, you know what? Screw this. Nobody thinks we're going to be any good. Let's, let's go out there. And I, I could see them getting a good start and just getting some momentum rolling and you know, if the goaltending is, is finally better, but, uh, yeah, I, you, I'm going to go higher. I'll, I'll say Ooh, higher than 71, 75 points. That's not actually, I mean that four points, that's four shootout wins better, but I feel like we're playing card sharks. Remember that? Remember that game show? That was a great show. We asked 100 housewives. How often does your <laughs> husband fart? Well, I think husbands fart a lot, so I'm going to say 81. I'm going to say it's much lower, Bob, because I think husbands hold it in, and then the answer is 82, and it was just that was, and then you get to go higher or lower. That was a good. Uh, was, I should have, I should have priced this right at you and just gone. You should have got a dollar. Point. You should have gotten one point on the Islanders. I think that was probably <laughs> the way to go. One point, as long as I'm not going over. Yeah, that <sighs> that could be. Well, one point, but I'll tell you about man. Then you know Lou Lamarillo is winning that draft lottery, so. <laughs> brighter days ahead islander fans uh well that's it we're done we're uh wrapping it up for the season here um we thank everybody for listening we love you very much we thank you for reading as well um we're sorry that we couldn't give you an eric carlson trade episode in the in the month of july we really thought that was going to be a lock we had five tuesdays in july to work out an episode time for a trade and it never happened um oh one other question there you want to you want to predict next year's uh stanley cup final right now what do you think it's going to be right now yeah i I lost the name of the person who asked the question but next year 2019 stanley cup final is tampa bay lightning going chalk okay this pause is me desperately trying to think of somebody to say other than the Predators because I feel like that's the most. You know what? Screw it. Tampa, Tampa, Winnipeg. See, I'm gonna go Columbus, Winnipeg. How about that? How about that? Wow, Columbus, Winnipeg, the battle of the cities that players apparently want to escape from, where Jacob Trouba wants to leave. Maybe Jacob Trouba will be traded for Artemi Panarin before the season, and then they'll meet in the final. Oh. I like it. Book it. So there you go. Uh, pre-order Sean's book and then reorder it and then order it again. Um, I got nothing to sell, so I'm not going to sell anything. You want to you wanna, you wanna say goodbye to the people? Yeah, just uh, thanks, everyone. This uh, season was a lot of fun. It's been uh, two uh, real, good, uh, real good years. Thanks to everyone who listened, rated, shared, all the other stuff. Uh, it's, uh, it has been great. And uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, we will talk to you next year. Yeah. And real quick, on the Sedines. Yes. we All year we spent teasing this, so we, we have to go out with with right. the Sedines. So here you go. Here's our here's our 20-minute interview with Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Thanks, everybody.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.